Good morning, New Life Church, and to all of our friends who have joined us from different parts of the world this morning. We are thankful that you could join with us on this platform to worship our Lord together. We have been going through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, over the last few weeks. And last week we looked at the first of 15 sermons that are recorded in the book of Acts. And the Apostle, Pre- the Apostle Paul, sorry, the Apostle Peter preached this very first sermon where 3,000 unbelievers came to faith in Jesus Christ. So Peter, we saw last week, used seven texts from the Old Testament to explain the gospel to the religious crowd that was gathering there that were mainly made up of Jewish people from all over the world. And today we're going to look at verse 22 to verse 36 more in depth. And what Peter does here in this text is to prove that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. And that brings us this morning to our passage, which we will read together. And I know this is a familiar passage to many of you listening, but all of us certainly need to know how better to communicate Jesus Christ. And we need to know how to understand this scripture which God has given to us. And the Apostle Paul Just like the Apostle Peter, he gave the gospel the first place in his preaching. And he tried with all of his might to proclaim it clearly, just as the Apostle Peter did. But Peter, sorry, Paul went one further and went so far as to pronounce a curse upon all of those who would pervert the truth of the gospel. So as you can see, this is a very important passage And a very important text for us to know and understand and to communicate properly. But for those of you who are listening who maybe are not so familiar with this passage, I trust that God will enrich your your hearts and that He would move you and the gospel would come alive in your life to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. So let me read the passage this morning, a very important portion of Scripture. Acts chapter 2 verse 22 to verse 36. The title of my message this morning is God Made Jesus Lord and Christ. Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, now he's referring to Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One, see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. That's the end of the quote from Psalm 16. And then he goes on and addresses the Jewish people, their brothers. Verse 29, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing 
that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Well, let's pray. Oh, sorry. Verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let's pray together. Father, please we ask for your help this morning as your Spirit teaches us this passage. We pray the familiarity of this passage will not cause us, Lord, to close our minds and our, and our hearts to what you have to teach us this morning. So Father, we speak a lot about the gospel, but this is necessary. It's important, Lord, because we know the gospel has changed. We know the gospel is twisted. We know the gospel is perverted in many, in many places. And we pray that we would not become bored, Lord, with the wonderful good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. So I pray your spirit would, would cut our hearts this morning, Lord, and that we would indeed learn more of your goodness and more of your grace through this passage today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I found a story this morning I want to share with you about uh, Louis Palau. Um, she tells the story of a, a woman in Peru whose life was radically transformed by the gospel. And the name of this lady is Rosario. She was, in fact, a terrorist. She was a, a brute of a woman. She was an expert in martial arts, and she had killed 12 policemen. So Louis Pulau was a, a preacher, an evangelist, and conducted many gospel meetings in Lima. And when this terrorist learned of these gospel meetings, she was... She was enraged, and she hated Christianity, and she determined in her heart that now she was going to assassinate and go and kill this gospel preacher. But she made her way to the stadium to kill this preacher. But when this terrorist arrived, she in fact started to listen to the, the gospel that was being preached, and she heard the warning about hell. And she was convicted of her sins. And she heard the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And she embraced Jesus as her Lord and Savior, repenting of her sins by faith. Anyway, years later, Palau met this terrorist, this ex-terrorist, Rosario, for the first time. And by then she had assisted in the planting of five new churches and this Rosario was an active witness for Jesus and had founded even an orphanage that looked after over 1,000 children. And that's a wonderful story, isn't it? It has everything that we want in a, in a gospel conversion. It has a, a bad guy, or in this case, a bad gal. It has a, a faithful pastor preaching about hell and salvation and the gospel and Jesus Christ. And we have even here a poor sinner who is cut to the heart 
and that is eventually healed by divine grace. And then we see fruit, fruit of her salvation, which really leads to credibility uh, for, her, uh, for her faith. Wonderful story, but not all of us at times experience this Damascus Road conversion. And maybe you're listening this morning and you can relate to Rosario. Maybe you're not a terrorist. Maybe you haven't gone out and actively killed people. But maybe in your heart of hearts, you know that you are a, a wicked sinner. Maybe you're involved in a, a serious sin from which you need to be delivered. And please know this morning that this is true. God's grace is greater than all of your sin. And I hope you, like Rosario, fall under conviction and turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and change for His glory. But if you already have been cut to the heart, as we see in our passage this morning, maybe you've already repented of your sins, then, then we have an awesome, hopeful story that we need to accurately explain to others the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember, this passage that we are studying this morning is the sermon that Peter preached where 3,000 people were cut to the heart, where 3,000 people turned to Christ in faith. So if ever there's a sermon that, that we need to understand, if ever there's a sermon that we need to study carefully, it's this one. And last week we looked at verses 14 to 41 as a general overview, but today we're going to zoom in and take a closer look at these verses from 22 to verse 36. And I want to encourage you, if you're a believer this morning, please take notes in your Bible. Underline the, the, the different portions of Scripture and the outline that I'm going to give you so that you can share it with others, especially in our context. There are people that need to know that God made Jesus Christ, Lord and Christ over all. It's very important that we understand this so that we can share effectively and accurately the good news of Jesus. So my first point this morning is in verse 22. And we're looking at the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus. So we see Jesus is Lord and Christ. Okay, that's my, my thesis statement this morning. Jesus is Lord and Christ. That's the, the title of my sermon. But how do we know this? How do we know this? Well, well, let's look at his life. Let's look at his ministry. In Acts 2 verse 22, look there. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So there are three things here that we need to um, note, that we need to see. First, Peter identifies Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. Now this is, this is unique. The Jews called Jesus of Nazareth. They gave him this title as a way to mock him. This wasn't a title to exalt him. It was a title to, to mock Jesus. Remember how they used to say that nothing good comes out of Nazareth. So Nazareth was a, was a nothing town. You wouldn't go there to, uh, to visit. You wouldn't go there for a tourist destination. You wouldn't go there to, to meet any famous people. And you wouldn't expect the Messiah to come out of Nazareth. 
And no prophet and certainly no Messiah, they thought, would come out of this city. So Peter says, this Jesus that you mocked, this Jesus that you poked fun at, and this Jesus that you refused, that you refused to accept, is Lord and Christ. He is Lord and Christ. Remember, Christ means Messiah, okay? So secondly, secondly, Jesus was accredited by God. Jesus was certified by God. Jesus was proven by God. Jesus was demonstrated by God. Look at the second part of verse 22. A man attested, underline that word in your Bible, put a circle around it. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So the word attested is used elsewhere in the Bible. It's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, for putting something on display. Okay? So the idea is that God has put Jesus on display. It's used again in Acts 25, verse 7, uh, for evidence to prove a point. So God has given Jesus as evidence to prove a point. Jesus is a man approved by God. We see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, the word is used to claim a, a high office. Um, so God proclaims that Jesus is Lord and He is Christ and He is King. He is the Messiah. So the point is that God is doing this. Jesus isn't the one who exalted Himself. It is God, the Father, who is exalting Jesus. In the life of Jesus, it is God who shows that Jesus is Lord and Christ. So this is another way for God to announce. Another way for God to announce that this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. So in other words, to reject Jesus, this is the conclusion really of this. If we reject Jesus who is accredited by God, even as early in their history, remember when they rejected Elijah and Jeremiah and they rejected other servants of God, then they are in effect rejecting God. And they are in effect rejecting God. There's so many people today who say that they are worshippers of God. But do they worship the Messiah that has been exalted by God? Thirdly, the Jews were witnesses to this. They saw the miracles, they saw the wonders, they saw the signs. Uh, it was clear in their eyes to see. And they were witnesses, first-hand witnesses. Uh, these were done before Israel and in Israel, and it was done for Israel as well. But the effect we see here, their hearts became hardened. Their hearts became hardened. Their hearts were full of unbelief. They refused to believe what was staring them directly in their face. Even though this was grace at work right in front of them, grace to unbelieving sinners, they would not repent and believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior and Messiah. But God proved Him to be Lord. God proved Him to be Lord and Christ. How? 
by His miracles. We see there by His wonders and by His signs. Well, what kind of miracles? What kind of wonders? What kind of signs? Well, nothing like we've ever seen, I can assure you. And there are so many people today who claim to be these miracle workers and to claim to have all these powers to do these signs and wonders. It is nothing compared to what Jesus did during this time. Remember, we studied the Gospel of Luke. And we saw in Luke chapter 5, a man with leprosy was made clean. Nobody has been able to do that with a single touch and not been unclean himself. We see again in, in Luke chapter 5 verse 18, a paralytic man was let down through the roof. And Jesus was not only able to forgive his sins, but what did Jesus do? He commanded him to get up, to take his mat, and to walk. This was also recorded in Mark chapter 2, in case we didn't see it in Luke. We see in Luke chapter 8, Jesus raises a dead girl to life. And he heals a, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And this is also recorded in, in Mark chapter 5. And again in Luke chapter 9, Jesus fed the 5,000 and, and the 4,000. Again recorded in other gospels in Mark chapter 6 and 8. We see also in Mark chapter 6, Jesus walking on water. Who do you know that has ever been able to do these things? Jesus healed a deaf and a mute man. You get the picture here. Jesus was able to do more than anybody has ever been able to do, clearly and without question. And we see Jesus' power throughout the Scriptures. We see His mighty deeds. We see His supernatural deeds. Deeds that aren't normal. Deeds that uh, a mere human cannot do. Deeds that can't be explained by, by science or medicine. Deeds that can only be done by God or from God. Remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He came to Jesus one night and he says, Rabbi, we know you are a, a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the miracles and the signs that, that you are doing if God were not with him. So here's a religious leader who has recognized this. Nicodemus was right. God was with Jesus. Our portion of Scripture tells us this morning that Jesus was accredited. He was accredited by God. He was approved by God. And still, many in Israel refused to believe, despite the evidence, because they were blind to the truth that was right in front of them. And because they were filled with hate, they were filled with darkness, and because their religion was all an outward show, it was hypocritical. The religion was not about the heart, it was about the works. And so they committed the greatest sin ever. They ended up rejecting Jesus in spite of the testimony of His life. But the same thing happens today. Before we too critical with the Jews during the time of Jesus, the same thing happens today. Despite the testimony of the life of Jesus that's been recorded for us in Scripture, people still reject Him. There are unbelievers and there are atheists who continue to hate Jesus and to do everything they can to try and prove Him a liar. They hate His miracles. They hate His signs. They hate His wonders. You know, back in the 18th century, 
the liberal unbelievers, they went through the Bible and they ripped out all the miracles that Jesus had done. And still today, they try and argue that these weren't supernatural miracles. And they try and explain these supernatural miracles. And they try and tell everybody and that God, that Jesus is nothing special. There's nothing special about Him. That's what they try and say. And if they can, if they can prove this point, then there really is nothing amazing about Jesus. Then we can ignore Him. Then we can ignore His claims. And I think this describes many people today. They refuse to believe what the Bible says about Jesus. They refuse to believe the Bible. And they ignore Jesus. They ignore His claims. So the question to this morning I want to ask you, are you one of those who have closed their hearts to the truth about Jesus of Nazareth? Or do you acknowledge that Jesus is both Lord and Christ? You have to affirm those, folks, if you want to call yourself a Christian. You cannot be a Christian where you do not affirm the claims of Jesus. My second point this morning is the death of Jesus. We see this in verse 23. How do we know Jesus is Lord and Christ? Well, His death shows us who He is. Listen to verse 23. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So let's look at the different phrases and words in that sentence, in that verse. We see their definite plan and foreknowledge. While the Sanhedrin thought it was their idea to get rid of Jesus, okay, they thought and they claimed responsibility for it. Um, they thought that Jesus was, was their victim. They thought that they were the ones in charge. And if that is the case, then Jesus can't be Messiah. Jesus can't be the ruler. Jesus has no power and no control. He cannot take him down from the cross, even if he wanted to. But that's not what Peter's saying. His death was predetermined. This wasn't an accident. And he's saying, even though you did it, even though you put the nails in Jesus' hands, even though you called for his crucifixion, it was predetermined. God allowed this to happen. You did so at the perfect time of God, in His determination, in His way, at the time and the place that God had determined. And it was all according to the plan of God, the plan of God from eternity past. God had mapped it all out. He had planned exactly what was going to happen. And His purposes rule. His purposes run the world. Not the Sanhedrins, not the Romans. Notice that Jesus was delivered up. Jesus was delivered up. He was handed over. Notice those words. Here is a word that is used of those who surrender over to their enemies. Think of Samson who handed over the Philistines, who was handed over to the Philistines by the men of, of Judah, which we've seen in, in Judges chapter 15. Same thing that's happening here. 
Jesus was delivered up. He was handed over by God. Jesus was handed over to the Jews in order to be put to death. Jesus was not a victim. He was a willing participant. There's an important verse that we need to memorize and you can put in the cross-reference in your Bible here. John chapter 10, verse 18. These are the words of Jesus himself. He says, No one takes it, talking about his life, no one takes my life from me, but I lay my life down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. It was the Lord who had the authority to lay down his life. And Peter here is saying to his audience in verse 23, You crucified Jesus, but I can also say the same thing to every person here. Every person listening. We are also guilty for putting Jesus on that cross. You, even though you didn't live 2,000 years ago, even though you may not be Jewish, we place Jesus on that cross. The Jews were the instigators. The Romans were the executioners. But you and I are equally responsible. You see, according to the plan of God, someone had to die. There had to be a sacrifice made for the sin of mankind. Someone had to pay for the penalty of sin. The sins of the Jews, the sins of the Romans, the sins of you and the sins of me. And that someone we see clearly is Jesus of Nazareth. And this charge Jesus received from the Father. It was determined before eternity passed. And Jesus laid down his life willingly for the sins of humanity. The death of Jesus is the only thing that gives us peace with God. The death of Jesus is the only hope that we have in this world to be made right with God. No other death gives us peace with God. That's why we don't any longer sacrifice bulls and goats. That's why we don't make any sacrifices anymore. I know there are parts of the world and different cultures where sacrifices are still going on, even human sacrifices. But those sacrifices can never make a final payment for our sins. The sacrifice has to be perfect. The sacrifice has to be completely holy. And no other one has ever fulfilled that criteria except Jesus Christ. Jesus is perfect. He is holy, holy, holy. He is the sinless Lamb of God that was slain for sinners like you and me. And His death shows us. His death tells us. His death proves to us that He is in fact the sinless Son of God. He is Lord and Christ. Our third point this morning probably the most important point we see in verse 24 to 32 the resurrection of Jesus and how do we know Jesus is Lord? how do we know that He is Christ? well His resurrection also shows us who He is look at verse 24 God raised Him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it let me read that again God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our Christian faith. It is mentioned over 100 times in the, the New Testament. And without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Christian faith is meaningless. The crucifixion loses its, its meaning without the, the resurrection. Without the resurrection, Jesus' death is just another um, heroic act or a noble act or maybe a pathetic act or even a miserable act. It certainly doesn't bring salvation if Jesus has not risen from the dead. It doesn't bring forgiveness if Jesus is not alive. Without the resurrection, Jesus is not and never will be both Lord and Christ. And that is why today there are so many people who argue this point and say that Jesus never ever rose from the grave, that he was a good person, that he was a good prophet, but he never ever rose from the grave. Somebody stole his body and took it somewhere else. If they can prove that, then our Christian faith is in vain. But they can't, because the Bible tells us that it is God who raised up Jesus from the dead. And the resurrection is so central that even the, the disciple chosen to be part of the twelve, as we saw, had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus came out of the grave alive. He who was dead, he who was killed, he who was crucified, came out of the grave alive. This is the key point, the main point, the longest point of Peter's sermon. Peter dedicates one verse to the life of Jesus. Peter spends one verse on the, the death of Jesus. And Peter devotes three verses to the exaltation of Jesus. But Peter here uses nine verses to prove the resurrection of Jesus. To make a very important point to the unbelieving, hard-hearted people around him. So how do we know Jesus is Lord and Christ? Well, don't only look at his teaching. Don't only look at his miracles. Don't only look at his, his death. Don't look only at his exaltation. The resurrection of Jesus is the key to who Jesus is. The resurrection, more than anything else, shows us that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Look at verse 24 again. But God raised him. But God raised him. Who raised him? God did. God raised him. Him who you killed, Peter says, God raised. The Jews are at the one end of the spectrum, aren't they? they they're the ones who, who did the killing. But God is at the other end of the spectrum. What is he doing? He is doing the raising. You have killed him, but it is God who has raised him. And the resurrection, Peter says, is an act of God. It is an act of God himself. And how do we describe God? How do we describe God to people? What do we say he is? Well, listen to how Paul describes God in Romans chapter 4, verse 24. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Who is God? Paul says, God is the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. 
God is the one who has the power to bring dead people to life. God raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. What an awesome description of who God is. Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Back to Acts chapter 2. We see in verse 24, almost the same words. Look at verse 24 again. God raised him up. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What does that phrase mean, loosing the pangs of death? Another translation says, freeing him from the agony of death. Freeing him from the agony of death. And this Greek word refers to the, the pains of birth that a, that a woman in labor would feel. It has to do with the, the contractions and the, the pain and agony a woman has before giving birth to a child. So for Jesus, the pangs of death were not permanent. They were temporary. And what followed was something glorious. It was something wonderful. And what are we talking about here? We're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Death was temporary. Death was the, the birth pain, the birth pang, which gave birth to the resurrected life. Death could not keep him. And what was true for Jesus, think about this, is true for all who believe in Jesus. Death is temporary for those who put their faith in the resurrection of Jesus. Those of us who have died with Jesus will be raised to life with Him, the Bible says. Death is temporary for believers, just like childbirth. What is forever is the new life, the new life, the resurrected life that comes afterwards. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. There was no way for death to hold him. It was impossible. Because listen to this. This is the reason, okay? Look at our passage. Because he is Lord and Christ. That is the reason. Because he's, his power and majesty and glory and honor and position and praise is his. All belongs to him. Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus didn't say, I am death, I am hell, I am Hades. Jesus said, I am the life, I am the resurrection. So much more we could say about that. So much more. But look at my last point this morning, in verse 33 to verse 35. The exaltation of Jesus. How do we know Jesus is Lord and Christ? Well, his exaltation also proves it. Not only his, his life, not only his death, not only his resurrection, but his exaltation. Look at verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Referring to the Holy Spirit there at Pentecost exalted someone did the exalting isn't it and we know who that is it is God the God who accredited him the God whose plan handed him over 
the God who raised him, this is the God who is now exalting Jesus. What happened to Jesus of Nazareth when everything was said and done? He was exalted. He was exalted. How was he exalted? Well, he was ascended into heaven. He was seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. God gave him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that is a wonderful verse, but it's also a terrifying verse. Because one day every tongue will confess this truth. But the problem is some people will do it in hell. At some point, everybody is going to be aware of this truth. Everybody is going to understand the gospel clearly. And even those people in hell will have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Father rules all things through Jesus. Don't wait before it's too late. Don't wait before it's too late. And as the ascended Lord and Christ, we see what happens here. He pours out the Spirit upon the church. The church receives this promise. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus rules all things for the church. Jesus rules all things for His people and for the sake of the gospel. Don't wait until it's too late. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord and Messiah. Just as the Gospels explain. So let me conclude this morning. Let me bring some application together. As I said, this is a very significant sermon. This is a very important sermon that Peter has preached to these unbelievers that are gathered there at um, Jerusalem. And we see 3,000 people cut to the heart. They feel the conviction of their sin and they call out to God for forgiveness in faith. And if they didn't, if these three didn't, what is at stake here? What is at stake when people reject the gospel? What is the main point of this sermon? I think the whole point of this is God. Notice every point so far, it is God who has done this. It is God who has done this. It is God. And the miracles of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus, the privilege of Jesus to baptize um, the church with His Holy Spirit, all of these are endorsed by God Almighty. So if we reject Jesus, we in effect are rejecting God. The question is, are we with Him or are we against Him? Do we join God in the exaltation of Jesus? Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Is this what we confess? Is this what we believe? One day the pastor of a church called upon a 96-year-old man who had just lost his wife of 
many years. And the old man said to the pastor, there's nothing I want more than to be with my wife again. And the pastor asked this man, why do you say that? You've never professed to be a Christian. How do you know where your wife is? And can you be sure you'll be happy wherever she is with her? And the old man thought for a few moments and he said, you know what, pastor, you're right. In fact, when it comes right down to it, the thought of leaving this life terrifies me. And then he blurted out and said, I'm sick of living, but I'm afraid of dying because I have no guarantee of where I'm going. And maybe some of you can relate to that this morning. Maybe some of you are, are sick of living with the guilt of your sin like the terrorist we heard about, Rosario, in the beginning. And you wonder, is the forgiveness of Christ sufficient for my terrible sins that I've committed? Well, the resurrection of Christ proves that the Father has accepted the death of Jesus as the payment for our sins. It's a perfect sacrifice. And yes, that means His death is sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins. And yes, it means that if you are sincere in your repentance of your sins, you will be forgiven of those sins. But will you believe this? Will you accept this gift of grace that God is giving to you? you know, there are others who are sick of living a pretend life of righteousness. So many people who profess Christianity as their faith but don't possess Christ as their Savior. So many people who go to church, so many people who wear a cross around their neck, so many people who give money to the church who don't possess Jesus as their Lord and Messiah. And the problem is here, you've never been cut to the heart. The problem with these people is that they've never seen themselves as sinners. They need to admit their need for Christ. They need to confess their sin, their weariness. They need to accept and admit before God in front of the Lord that they are sinners. I remember hearing a message at a conference where Dr. Ligon Duncan preached a conference on revival and conference on reformation and Dr. Legan Duncan he commented that the greatest threat to the church today is from those who profess Christianity but are not truly cut to the heart well the death of Christ proves that there are none righteous no not one Christ didn't come to make those who are well he didn't come to, he came for the sick. Accept the cutting of the great physician and find his healing grace. Christ didn't come to make unbelievers more unbelief in their hearts. And for all who are afraid of dying, remember this the grave is empty. The grave is empty, and Christ is risen, and he is risen indeed. He has taken the sting of death. 
And all God's children said, Amen. That is the greatest truth that we can meditate on ever, folks. For all of us who are struggling, all of us who are facing the imminence of death, all of us who have been stung by this terrible foe, remember, Christ has overcome. The grave is empty. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Father, thank you for this wonderful truth this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would use the gospel this morning to cut the hearts of those who are not yet saved. And Lord, that you would use the gospel that we share this week from this passage to cut the hearts of our friends and our work colleagues and even our family who have rejected Jesus as Christ and Messiah. Please, Lord, do your work amongst us for your name's sake, for your glory, and for the joy of your people. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.